So uh, we welcome him not only to our school for the first time, but to Nebraska. And a new father as well here just uh, in December. So we can say congratulations to that. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Got that mic, yeah. Uh, well, good morning. I think I turned the mic. Is it on? Yep, I got it on. Uh, yeah, if you would turn in your Bibles to James chapter 3. Uh, yeah, my name is Adrian. Uh, my wife is Melody. Uh, we just had our first son. His name is Anselm. Um, he's actually, we adopted him uh, in, yeah, just fascinating story. We, we went through infertility, uh, ended up adopting him, and we're, we're happy to welcome him into the world on Christmas Day. Uh, very excited for that. Uh, he's got a Nebraskan uh, birth certificate, which is weird. I'm from Arkansas. My wife was born in Montana, uh, so it's it's a little strange and real to see that. Um, happy to be with y'all. I am an associate pastor at Highland Park up in Columbus. Uh, I'm able to teach students every single Wednesday. Uh, I really enjoy it. Really enjoyed studying this passage, so I hope it's a blessing to you. Is this the first thing y'all do on Wednesday morning is chapel? Yeah? Okay. Well, that's impressive. That's hard to wake up at eight and then have someone preach about how your tongue is from hell, uh, from James three. So I appreciate you being here. Yeah, I love words. I love words. I love looking at the history of words. I love seeing how a word came to be. What languages did it come from? How did it become an English word? What words fit together to make this word? Um, yeah, I love that words are able to make something beautiful. They're able to make something more interesting uh, even than it ought to be if you can form your words well. I think it's amazing that words can make you feel, make you feel things. They can make you laugh. They can make you cry. They can make you feel happy. They can make you cringe. They can make you sad or anxious. Words are powerful. And our tongues... Our tongues, this little thing in our mouth, can form these coherent sounds. And when you make those sounds, I understand that you're either trying to inform me, you're trying to convince me or persuade me, you're trying to call me to action, entertain, encourage, or even terrify. In James, in James chapter 3, we're looking at verses 1 through 12, he tells us that that is dangerous. Words can hurt. Words are dangerous. The tongue can reveal who we really are. So in this passage this morning, we see that our problem is that our tongues spew out this flaming, venomous curses. One moment we bless God, but then we turn right around and we curse His people. Do you claim to be a Christian? Why do you curse his people? In this passage, James will give us three terrifying realities of the tongue. Before we get into it, let's read James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 together. Let's read. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, 
For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. When we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water. Can a fig tree, my brother, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, thank you for this text. Yeah, thank you for these students. Uh, I'm sure they're required to be here, but just thank you for bringing them here uh, to look at the Word of God, to study James together. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Uh, let grace reign true in this text and in this sermon that we would see, even though our tongues are corrupt, uh, your son pays for it with his life, that he offers newness, a new heart, a new tongue uh, in future glory. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. A little bit of context before we, we jump into our passage. Uh, I'm sure you, you may have heard this through studying the previous passages, but James is known as the Proverbs of the New Testament. Uh, there's some scholars that believe it could be a commentary on the Sermon of the Mount. Uh, if you read Matthew 5 to 7, chapter 5 to chapter 7, that's the Sermon on the Mount. James quotes a lot from Jesus, and he uses a lot of the same language that Jesus uses, and he kind of builds onto it within his book. Uh, studying through Matthew right now with the students on Wednesdays at Highland Park, uh, and yeah, there's just a ton of themes that I'm seeing in James when I was studying that I saw from Jesus' own words. So this theme of words is found in Matthew, including Jesus' teaching on anger in Matthew 5 and his interactions with the Pharisees especially. And you can see that in chapter 12 and in chapter 18 of Matthew. Our passage in the book of James immediately follows his instructions on how faith without works is dead. This is telling us that if we have true faith, then our actions will authenticate. They will authenticate that faith uh, by being in submission to Christ. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, our passage points to our faith playing out in our will. What do we will? That comes out through the tongue. Chapter 3, 13 through 18 points to our faith playing out in wisdom. Not in boastful wisdom, but in meek wisdom that is from above and not from the earth. And then chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, points to our faith playing out in our passions or in our affections and the things that we love. 
Our passage zeroes in on the tongue, which James uses to refer to our words. He shows that the words reveal the vitality of our heart. Our faith, or lack thereof, is shown with what kind of words freely flow from our lips. In this passage, James shows us that the tongue has a massive influence, is wildly evil, and it ultimately tells the heart. So what he's trying to show is that this inward faith, the most immediate good work that it does or evil work that it does, is going to be seen in the tongue. So faith without works is dead. What's the first work we can look at? The words you speak. So the hinge point between your body and your soul is the tongue. The main point of this passage is to warn of the danger of words when they are not submitted to Christ. My goal in preaching this morning is to get you to examine your soul, to look at your own heart, starting with your tongue. Your tongue reveals who you really are. It can tell us whether you are alive or dead. It can tell us whether you are a child of God or a child of Satan. And I want you to know the danger of words because of our sinful hearts. But ultimately, I'm not just going to berate you and say, stop saying stupid things. That's not what this is going to be. Ultimately, I want you to see that Christ is the perfect Word of God that can tame our tongues and redeem our hearts. So that's where we're going. But here's our, our outline is this. We're examining three terrifying realities of the tongue. Three terrifying realities of the tongue. The first terrifying reality of the tongue that we see in our text is that the tongue has a massive influence. The tongue has massive influence. Influence. This is looking at verses 1 through 4. First, we see that James is warning to those who use their tongues the most and have the greatest influence, teachers. Then we'll look at James's two illustrations that show the might of the tongue, the strength of the tongue. So first of all, let's look at the threat of teachers, verses 1 through 2. Let's read that again. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with, stricter, with greater strictness. For we will stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. Teachers have a perilous responsibility. They must teach truth and shape souls of their students. And now the teacher that we read here is not talking about a school teacher that's teaching math or science or literature. Uh, it's not even talking about someone that, you know, if you're wanting to learn how to drive, it's not your driving instructor. Most likely what James is referring to are preachers uh, and pastors or anyone else that teaches theology and the scriptures. What is interesting is that James says that not many of you should become teachers. And here he's speaking to Christians. We have to remember he's speaking to Christians throughout this book. Why would he say that? His answer is twofold. He says, you should, not many of you should become teachers. One because teachers will be judged more strictly. So he's trying to look out for his friends. And two, teachers will stumble in many ways, because we all stumble in many ways. Teaching, or soul shaping, should not be taken lightly. There's so much at stake. To handle the Word of God and apply it to others means that not only are you responsible for yourself, but now... You're influencing the wills, the mind, and affections of others. By being in this position, a te teachers are telling their students 
Listen to me if you want to be holy. Listen to me if you want to be wise. Listen to me if you want to rightly love God and others. And if you mess that up, not only do you bring condemnation on yourself, but you drag others to hell with you. Their words hold a weight that is heavy enough to drag a multitude of people into judgment. Jesus warns in Matthew 18.6, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. When you think millstone, think of an anchor. Something heavy. James doubles down on this with a somewhat sarcastic remark. So if you look down at verse 2, he says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. This is showing that if someone doesn't sin with his words, then he's perfect. He's perfect in both body and soul. He doesn't say this to say that that's something attainable, that you can reach this status, that only perfect people should be teachers. That's not reality. That's not what he's trying to say. He says this in order to show our inability. Remember, he just said that we all stumble in many ways. James is using teachers to zero in on our words. So you're not excluded from this. You're like, I don't want to be a teacher. I'm not a teacher. So this doesn't apply. This applies to you. This applies to you. Your words matter. Our words are the clearest works that reveal the genuineness of our faith. In other words, the eyes are not the window to the soul. The tongue is. That doesn't sound as nice, but that's reality. The tongue is the window to the soul. This is clarified in James' following two illustrations. So look at verses 3 through 4. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. They are so large and are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. James shows the influence of the tongue through these two illustrations, bits in, the horse, in horses' mouths and rudders on ships. So first, let's look at the bit in a horse's mouth. Does anyone ride horses? Yeah? So you know what he's talking about when he says the bit in the mouth. So this is something, this could be a little chain, this could be a little uh, rod of metal that would, it would go over the horse's mouth, but that little bit would go inside his mouth. And attached to the ends of that bit would be the reins in some form or fashion. And so when the rider is on the back of this horse, when he pulls one way on the reins, that tells the horse, he feels that movement in his mouth, and he goes that direction. Horses are massive. They're like the, the same weight as a car. And so this little bit of metal is able to control this giant beast. That horse, if he didn't want to go, he didn't have to. He could kick you. He could kick you off. But this little bit is powerful enough to direct the direction of the horse. The horse obeys. Second, James talks about rudders on ships. So if you know, if you've seen a you can think of a pirate ship. I think this is a good example because he's using wind. Uh, they have these massive sails to catch wind and gives them power to move forward. But it's hard to turn the direction of the wind. So ships were equipped with rudders. This was a small piece of woodwork that would be on the back of the ship and kind of be at the bottom in the water. So it would be a flap. on the. If this is the ship, the flap would be here. And the, whoever is captaining the ship 
can turn a wheel or can turn a lever, and it would move that little rudder, and it would change the entire direction of the ship. So this little piece of wood is able to guide these massive boats. The same thing is on cruise ships. If you Googled rudder on a cruise ship, these giant ships, and there's a little piece comparatively, it's still pretty big, but compared to this giant cruise ship, this little piece of metal guides the direction of this massive building on water. So it's showing, he's trying to show that the might of this little member, the might of your tongue. It's small, you don't really think about it that much, but it has such great influence. All of this shows how our tiny tongue is mighty enough to make a massive impact. Think of social media. Through just a few words, a total stranger can ruin someone else's day. Like, I think you look stupid. Like, well, I'm going to remember that forever. Taylor Swift was able to simply change a single, single word in one of her lyrics, and the internet exploded. She said, karma is a guy on the Chiefs, and everyone lost their minds. People with high followings can say, don't buy this, do buy that, do this, not that. Thousands, even millions will listen. Teachers, this easily applies to you. Being in a, at a Christian school, I'm sure often your lesson plans include talking about the gospel, talking about the scriptures. So consider your own efforts. What effort do you put into the accuracy of your lesson plan? What effects do your offhand comments have on your students? Do you teach the, to reach the end of the day? Do you teach to get your paycheck? Or do you not know that your words shape souls? Do you teach with the understanding that you are shaping souls? Your words matter. Students, your words start counting now. I think often when, when we're young, when we're in high school, we're like, well, I'll finish this and then I can devote my life to Christianity. I can, I can care more about the impact of my words. But I want to be, be stupid. I want to be silly. I want to say what I want, make jokes all the time. Your words count now. They counted yesterday. So don't slough off. James's words. Your words matter too. They will not start to have an impact once you graduate, once you finish college, once you're married, once you get a job, or once you have kids. They matter now. Your words affect those around you. They hear you. They take things to heart. Do your words build up others? Do they encourage? Are they gentle? Are they kind? Are they full of grace? James goes further to show the inevitable danger of the tongue's influence. This leads us to the second terrifying reality of the tongue, that is, it is wild. It is wildly evil. The tongue is wild. This comes from verses 5 through 8. Here we see the raging fire tongues can start and that those fires find their source in hell. We also see that the only creature man has not tamed is the tongue. So first look at verses 5 and 6. It says, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Look at how that progresses 
and just kind of spirals down, and he just get, it gets worse and worse. He doesn't just simply say, your tongue is dangerous. He paints a picture for us that it's a raging fire destroying everything in its path. That the fire that comes from your tongue, it doesn't find its source in you, it finds its source in hell from Satan. So, we see the tongue is like a spark that sets a forest fire. The tongue is, is a fire. It's a world of unrighteousness. An entire world of unrighteousness. That makes me think of stories. I, I really enjoy the Lord of the Rings and reading those stories. And it's just amazing with just words how Tolkien is able to create this entirely separate world. But here James is saying we make these worlds with our tongues, but they're evil. He says the tongue is a fire. The tongue stains the entire body. The tongue sets on fire the entire course of life. And that's literally meaning the entire wheel or circle of life. And finally, he concludes with the tongue is set on fire by hell. So we see the great danger that our tongue, of our tongue that it wields such a great influence over others. But that influence comes with a flaming sword that is Satan's. The smallest member of our body is the greatest weapon for the serpent. We ought to be terrified of this reality. This persistent image of fire shows us the destructive nature of our words. We've all been hurt by words. People's words do hurt us, whether they're intentional or unintentional. It's amazing that words are so powerful that they can hurt others without even meaning to, without even the speaker remembering saying them. I get in trouble with tone a lot. If I sar sound sarcastic or if I sound like I don't care, and I have to watch myself on that. Maybe someone has mocked you. They've called you ugly. They've called you stupid. They make you feel small. Maybe you've done this to someone else. You see yourself as better than others. You put others down to make yourself Look better. James's words are a warning to you. The tongue is a fire from hell. It burns other, but it is also judgment upon you already. James goes on in verses 7 and 8. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Just further, just these vivid images of the destructiveness of the tongue. The tongue is like an untamable beast. I, I have this image of we've domesticated every animal and I think of a zoo. And we put these, I mean, a polar bear. How do we catch a polar bear? And we put it in a zoo to gawk at. And with our tongue, just freely going through this zoo and, and not caring about what comes out of us. What James is seemingly getting at is that our tongue is like a serpent. It is like this creature that we can't control, and from it comes venomous poison. It's like the serpent from Genesis 3. He calls it restless evil. Restless evil. It doesn't sleep unless it has accomplished something devious and full of deadly poison. This image of an untamable animal calls our minds to the time when we say the things off the cuff. We say these out-of-pocket things. We're like, ah, I didn't mean to say that. I didn't mean that. I just got angry. It just came out. There are terrible things that we say that we don't mean, 
or that we say that we immediately regret. This shows that evil nature. It just escapes. It's like you vomit out evil. The fire and poison of your tongue now comes through online. So it's not just person to person, but now we can just say it freely to anyone we want to anywhere in the world. What I hate to see are these horrible things that people say about athletes. I think around Super Bowl time, everyone's comparing one quarterback to the other, one tight end to the other. And if the other tight end isn't your tight end, you just you want to put them down. You want to make them feel small. And so people will just say these terrible things. There's players that no matter what they do, whether good or bad, whether they are successful or they're not that great, people will just say awful things about their ability, about their intelligence, their appearance, their families, even their value. The venomous words pour out and destroy lives of whoever, whoever's in the way. So students, do you know that you will have to give an account to God for every careless word you speak? That's Jesus' words. He says, every careless word you speak, you'll have to give an account. Every worthless word, every crude joke, every word of gossip and bitterness will be laid out before God. Your words matter. So James has shown us the danger of the tongue, its great influence, coupled with its ability to destroy others as well as the rest of the body. It's a recipe for disaster, but the tongue is not merely an independent member of the body that has its own mind. Do not think that James's words give us an excuse. Well, I just can't control it. It's, it's something different for me. It's not really me. We cannot say I did not mean it. The vileness of the tongue reveals the vileness of the soul. That leads us to our third terrifying reality of the tongue. The tongue tells the heart. The tongue tells the heart. This is seen in verses 9-12. through 12. Here we find the heart of the passage. The tongue does not work independently from the rest of ourselves. The tongue reveals the true unholiness within us. There should not be blessing and cursing that come from the same tongue. When I was in high school, I played uh, basketball, believe it or not. Before every game, we would gather in the locker room during the high school girls' game, and we would say the Lord's Prayer, and then someone, usually me, that had me do it, would say a prayer for the game. Everyone would say healthy, everyone would be a good sport uh, to the other team. But we'd say this prayer, we'd rehearse this thing, and then immediately after, uh, the majority of the team would just say, start saying truly the most evil things ever. I mean, it, without fail. It's like, uh, Lord, you know, your name be the glory. Amen. And then they just start cursing. They'd be planning on how they're going to get drunk after the game and even just yelling angrily. There's just this one guy that they would just bully. Right after we prayed to God. And this guy, made in the image of God, reflects the image, the likeness of God. Just yelling hateful words to him. I know this isn't an unusual occurrence. It may happen here. If you play sports, it may, that may ring true in your locker room. Surely you know the guy or the girl, or maybe you are the guy or the girl that talks respectfully during class. It's always, yes, ma'am, no, sir, very respectful. But as soon as the teacher's out of earshot, you curse them. You talk about how much you don't like them. You talk about how you don't really want to do this. I don't want to do that. 
Maybe you like to get together with your friends, but the topic of conversation always shifts to how terrible this person is or how terrible that person is. Or you can't believe he did that. can't believe she did that. This is what James is talking about. In one moment, we're praising and blessing God. We're coming to chapel. We're singing these songs. We're praying. But then soon after, or right before, we're speaking evil of one another and hating our neighbors and delighting in these sick words. To use James's language, brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be. If we claim to be Christians, then the words of Satan should not be coming out of our mouths. To be in Christ is to be a new creation that practices good works. The old man is no longer there. The old man should be dead. Again, James gives us a helpful illustration that he partially borrows from Jesus himself. A spring cannot simultaneously be a saltwater spring and a freshwater spring. Neither can a fig tree produce olives. Who you truly are is how you will truly be. This is most evident in the words you speak, especially when you're most comfortable. My dad would often tell me, whatever goes down in the well comes up in the bucket. If your soul is full of fire, full of poison, full of death, then your words will be seasoned with impurity, with sensuality, with idolatry, with hostility, fighting, envy, hatred, harshness, and gossip. But if your soul is full of Christ and His righteousness, then your words will be seasoned with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So my question to you is this. What comes out of your mouth? How could someone characterize your words? How would your closest friend characterize your words? Are they life-giving or are they draining? Do they honor God and man or do they honor God and curse man? It cannot be both blessing and cursing. One is a lie. If you have a dead man's tongue, then you have a dead soul. So, brothers and sisters, your mouths wield great influence. Your tongues are a flaming fire from hell. Out of your mouth comes blessings and cursings, and it ought not be so. And it does not have to be this way. The solution to dangerous, a dangerous tongue is not to learn to speak more eloquently, to suppress the evil words, to just have evil thoughts instead. That's not good. The solution to the dangerous tongue is a new soul that submits to Christ. A flaming tongue can only be quenched with living water. So students, examine your hearts. Are you truly Christ? Examine your tongue. Do you speak as Christ would speak? My suspicion that is the answer is no. Not all the time. Like James says, we all stumble in many ways. That's not the end for us though. Our own words condemn us. If God was just going to punish sin without there being grace, without there being a gospel, then we should cut our tongues out and live without words. But He doesn't leave us alone. Our own words condemn us, but I want to point you to the Word made flesh. The Word that was in the beginning with God and was God. Jesus Christ, the perfect Word of God. He lived a sinless life with a perfect soul that no careless word escaped from His lips. No venomous fire ever came from Him. He lived that perfect life but was put to death because of your careless words. He died because you hate that one girl. He died because you thought that one joke 
was funny enough to say. He died because of your thirst of rage and anger. But He died that you might live. He died so that you would not hear a word of judgment, but a word of grace from God. He died that you may live forever with Him. By the word of His power, He rose from the dead and He offers His righteousness to you by faith in Him. Repent of your wicked tongue and trust in Him. What, what do you do to tame your tongue? If you're in Christ, what do you do to tame it? And I want to offer three takeaways, and this is, this is how we will end. Three takeaways from James 3. First, submit, your, submit to faithful teachers of the Word. There are good teachers. Faithful teachers will show you Christ. They will show you that you can be made holy through Christ. That through Christ, He will make you wise. That through Christ, He will rightly order your affections for God and for others. A faithful pastor is good for the soul. He will instruct, encourage, and correct based on God's Word in the Gospel. Second, own your words. Own your words. Don't defend. Don't deflect. Don't brush off words as not being that big of a deal, but confess your careless word. Have no fear to confess. If you're in Christ, He's paid for it. Confess your careless words to God and to others. Do not hide them. It was the grumbling words of Israel that kept them from the promised land. Confess, then turn from those words. Turn to Christ for the forgiveness of sin and submit your words to Him. Take every thought captive and submit it to Him. And then finally, drink deeply from the Scriptures. Read, study, pray over, discuss with others what the Word of God has to say. Let your heart be filled with holy words so that all that can come out of your mouth is blessing. Be nourished and satisfied by the Word of Christ. So friend, we see that the double-tongued nature of existence ought not to be this way. And it doesn't have to be. Christ, our Holy Shepherd, takes away our sin. He gives us living water to quench our flaming tongues. And He gives us Himself as the perfect Word. Trust in Him. I'm going to pray. And then I'll give you two uh, questions to discuss with your e-groups. Uh, Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for this warning that we have from James. Uh, let us not be careless with our words. Let us not on a Sunday yeah, yell at our family, uh, rush to get things done, to despair over late homework or late nights, and then turn around and pray and worship You. Let us come to You with a good conscience. Thank You for Your Gospel. I pray that You would save uh, the souls of the lost here, that You would reveal their flaming tongue to them, and that you would give them a new soul full of living water. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so the two questions you can write down. The first one is this. Examine your words from the last two days. What do they tell you about your soul? Examine your words from the last two days. What do they tell you about your soul? Second question is like it. What practices do you have to guard your tongue and submit to Christ? And what practices can you add? So again, what practices do you have to guard your tongue and submit it to Christ? And what practices can you add? Uh, thank you all so much for being here this morning. It was, uh, I was very eager to meet you. Uh, and so I was pleased to hear you and see you and, and preach to you. I hope it was an encouragement.